everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the Sandcast. We have a special guest here this week, Adam Roberts. He is a 20-year veteran on tour, and uh, he's certainly got some great stories for us here today. You'll notice that the audio is pretty decent for the first half of it, and then really good for the second half. Me and Travis are still getting our tech game down, but it's a really good episode nonetheless. Enjoy. All right. Well, this is Sandcast Take Two, Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawarder, presented by Marriott Vacation Club Rentals and brought to you by VolleyballMag.com. We had a wild week of volleyball. So we had the Huntington Beach four-star, which was 48 teams per gender. And then we had the college NCAA Beach Championships, which congratulations to UCLA for their first beach national championship. Then we had the indoor national championships, which UCLA did not win. That went to Long Beach State, so congrats on them for the first national title since 1991. Whoa. And today, our guest, we have a player from the Huntington Beach four-star event. we got Adam Roberts. What's happening, bud? Not so much. Hey, Rahul. Yes, glad Welcome. to be here. Thank you. So take us through the Huntington event, just from your side as a player, because the format we've never seen before, um, I mean, 48 teams, we had 16 American, all kinds of international teams. Just what were your thoughts on it? Good event? Awesome event? Uh, I thought it was an awesome event. I, I thought it was a really cool way for us to see different levels of the world, which at the highest level, um, of course, Charlie's seen it. Um, I've been able to play some international events, but to have them there in your backyard uh, was pretty amazing. It was pretty awesome um, that, that we were able to do a mixture of American versus the world and so on and so forth versus each other. Um, you know, the setting and the ball really favored those guys. I've seen some of the other teams and other players internationally come in the past. They come to the Manhattan Open, the deep sand and the Wilson ball, and things all get switched up and changed around or whatever. But that's how the Olympics are done, and uh, those guys were very high level, as we all saw. Yeah. So you played the Germans in the first round, right? So you had Bachman and Flugen. Yes. And then, now you're, you were playing with Spencer Souter, who our listeners are probably not too familiar with, but likely will be soon. So Spencer, he came out of Penn State. To kind of introduce, I guess, Spencer to, yeah. to our listeners. Yeah, Spencer's 23. He's born and raised in the Chicago area. Um, he played indoor most of his life. Um, and I guess he was really small until like his senior year, like five, six. What? And all of a sudden he shot up, I guess maybe his junior year, he was like six foot. And then, um, he, I don't even think he fully ended up being six, seven until like after his, junior, uh, after his uh, freshman year at Penn State. Uh, initially, actually, he was a libero at Penn State, his first, his first year there. Six, seven libero. <laughs> yeah, 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 really. Getting up to six, seven. But yeah, he's a, he's a really awesome, great guy, very hard worker. And he had kind of played beach his whole life with his buddy back home. Uh, played all four years at Penn State. I think he started three of them there. Um, said he really wanted to give beach volleyball a shot. Moved out to California. Um, and big six, seven blockers get in the mix quick. Um, so he was actually John Mayer's training partner last year. And that's when he really turned some heads. And um, he, he's a great guy. Great guy. I was very excited to play with him. And how did he handle first first crack at Bachman and Flugen, who were in the 2016 Olympics? That's, that's a big moment, especially because Spencer only had in two, two or three main draws of experience at that point. Yeah, yeah. Thrown, it's, thrown into with the, the way the system worked, I was lucky enough to have a couple of FIB points, so I pulled him in, um, in in terms of this, and he was very thankful at first. <laughs> and said, you, you, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll be in the mix plenty of times, um, so you know, don't worry about that. But uh, he was excited. He was very excited. It was just a whole anxious another level, but, but he played very steady. He's a very steady, solid player. And uh, he did a great job. He did a great job. So I was, uh, I was excited to have him out there playing the steady ball. And it was good. It was good, yeah. And so you, you guys had the Germans and then you had the young Russians. And how are the young Russians? Because we've seen they've won two FIVBs this year. I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names. But uh, they're only 21 and 20, I think, which is the same age as the young Norwegian team. I don't know if you got to see them. But what are your thoughts on the young Russian team? Like, is that an Olympic contender type team? I think it is. I think it is. I, I, I played a full season uh, or a year or two with Andre Belov, who was in the Russian system. Um, and so Andre and I actually went to Russia for five weeks. So I kind of got to see a little bit of their, their training. And, and as Russians, they are very intense. They are very 
strict, they're a very straight line, and so I, I'm assuming that for them to see such a young, up-and-coming talent, they will not let that team not focus on the Olympics. They'll have blinders on there for sure from the Russian Federation, but those guys are very talented, <clears throat> very talented. The blocker is just in your face 24-7, and that springy defender is fast and jumps high and hits hard, so yeah, they're very talented. Very talented, but they are young. So we, you know, we kind of started off strong in, in the beginning. You could see them, you know, an anxious nerve. You know, whereas like, you know, John Hyde would be like, hey, you know, it's it's eight two, long match. You know, let's not freak out. But um, yeah, as far as talent level goes, they are one of the tops in the world. I, I would have to say that they, in theory, could be one of the medal contention teams as you're looking forward. Yeah, <clears throat> try. It. You saw pretty much everyone this weekend yeah. doing just between being there all weekend and doing the live stream. Who were you most impressed by? Obviously, our boys Alex Brower and Robert Musing, yeah. who apparently were the Good Luck Podcast. Right. We have them on uh, six days before their final, and they, they dominate Andre Navandro. So mm -hmm. I, I thought Brower was unreal. But who were you most impressed by this weekend? Yeah, well, I mean that rush, like the Russian team you were talking about. I was impressed because I haven't been able to be on FIB tour this whole past year. So two years ago, when I was on, when I was on tour, I saw those young Russians, and I'm like, okay, like these guys are going to be pretty good one day. Like I'm I'm here to dominate them for a little while, but now I take a year off and I come see them here, and and they're a top team in the world already. So they're definitely a lethal team. I don't think they had a great tournament, but neither of the Russian teams did. Um, well, Alex Brower went off in the final, so he was he was kind of the MVP of the tournament. That was pretty impressive performance. Um, I don't know; it was just so fun. I, I I feel like every match I watched was a like a potential final. I mean, we watched what the Hermosa Beach Open final for the ADP last year was Gibb and his crab and crab crab, and that was a match for. Crab. 25th or 33rd or something crazy like that? Loser took 25th, I think. Um, but who was impressing me? Man, my head is spinning through so many players. I, I showed up at the qualifier day, and then I showed up all four main draw days and called the live stream for the last teams. three days. Um, but from the women's side, I was really impressed, too, with some of the Brazilian uh, ladies and then, of course, the Canadian um, Canadian girls are really impressive. They're super deep. Um, who's good on the men's side? I thought Alvaro and Simon were pretty unbelievable. They had an awesome match with Reed Pretty and Casey here. I don't know if either of you guys got to see that one. It was at the same time as Casey Patterson and Stafford Slick were playing the Austrians, uh, Doppler and Horst. And so I would just kind of toggle back and forth between points. And it was, it was pretty epic between those two because it was just – I mean, Reed and Jeremy are just bombing serves, and Alvaro and Simon are just bombing serves, and there's Simon swings at everything. He'd be, he'd yeah. be 20 feet off the net, and he's taking a rip. Yeah, see, I was on the stadium, like, the whole time, so I missed a lot of the good matchups in the outside court, but towards the end of the tournament, it was really fun to watch um, the Latvians and the Spaniards go at it, because it was a little bit of a win ball, and they're, all four of those players are very versatile. They can all block, they can all defend. So it was really fun to see how they adapted in the win. I think the best players in the world are going to step up in those situations and, and change their game, but for the better when, when it's windy. And Adam, I think you've probably played in more events than anyone playing right now. Right? Is that either you or Hyden, right? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, a buddy of mine's kind of catch up with it. He was huh. telling me that uh, as far as active players goes, I've played. Um, more ADPs than anybody active at this time, or Hyden or, or Gale. I started a couple years before those guys. So yeah, I've been around a long time. I've seen a lot. Yeah, it's been fun. I didn't know that stat for when I was on the live stream. I'm giving, giving Hyden so much credit. Yeah, yeah, I got about a couple years. So, <laughs> so I mean, how did, just longevity-wise, and two, motivation, like how have you staved off burnout for so long, just staying at it, and two, like, how is your shoulder? <laughs> yeah, well, first I don't swing that hard, so, you know, there goes the shoulders, high line every time. <laughs> don't tell anybody. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just been, it's just been fun for me, it's a competitive aspect. Uh, I played basketball in college all four years at Elon University, small division one school in North Carolina, and the funny thing is, is that after, you know, of course I played basketball my whole life, you know, since I was 10, 
So anytime I see anybody in that realm who knew me from that age, from 10 to 21, they're like, oh my gosh, you don't play basketball anymore? And they're like, you don't even miss it? And I'm like, you know, I really don't because I have this other competitive aspect. So for me, it's just a, it's just a competitive thing that I, that I need and want in my life. And uh, yeah, I love it just like I just started yesterday. So in every aspect of it. And I've always enjoyed the training and this is a lot different than any other sport you'll ever do, especially growing up as a kid, because not many people have coaches, so it's all self-motivated, it's all putting yourself out there, and I like that, you know, hey, if you work harder than this guy on your own, then, you know, you can succeed in it, and I've always enjoyed that. And I know that basketball, just throughout the history of beach volleyball, has been a very common transition sport. You know, Mike Dodd was drafted by the San Diego Clippers, <laughs> when they were still a basketball team, and then he made the full-time switch, and that's the stories like that are pretty common. So how did you make the transition from basketball to beach volleyball? Yeah, for me, I was uh, super late on starting beach volleyball. Um, I was in college playing basketball at Elon, which is in uh, Burlington, North Carolina, about four hours from the beach. Um, I moved to Myrtle Beach for fun during the summer, and everybody went to the beach to lay out for the day. Bored half to death about 15 minutes into it. I, I was like, I need to do something here. I was like, what are those guys doing? So we went over, started playing beach volleyball with my buddy. And I kind of used it as a cross-training sport all four years in college. Um, when I went into college, I wasn't even able to dunk. And then it was the biggest year between my sophomore and junior year that I did tons of sand training, weighted vest training. And I actually went back and I ended up winning four dunk contests, believe it or not, in college. So it was kind of a cool thing. It was just helping my basketball game. I was jumping higher. I was dunking easier. So I really, I really enjoyed using that as like my cross-training sport. And then when I graduated, I was like, man, I'm really going to give it a shot. Actually, on, one of my first events ever was on my graduation day. I skipped it for uh, an ABP um, event in Houston. So I did not walk from graduation to, to start to try to play pro beach volleyball. That's funny. It's funny because Logan Weber, who made the main draw with David Ryan Vandermeer, did the same exact thing. He yeah. skipped his graduation to play in this event, and then he ended up making main draw. So good on them. I, actually, funny stat out of the qualifiers: all four guys who came out of the qualifier for the men, the U.S., were from like Ohio and Michigan. <laughs> None of the California guys made it through, which is interesting. That is very interesting. But what was your what was your signature dunk? Uh, you know, the funny thing was, yeah, yeah, you know, that's a good one. We <laughs> always said we're like, oh, you know, on tour can can't dunk and so on and so forth. Uh, about once a year around my birthday, I'll go up there and I'll make sure I can still get it in. So yes, I can still dunk. <laughs> um, it's I, I don't really try to get more. I'm more worried about like some weird Achilles injury or whatever. So I just try like little something simple. Uh, but yeah, I had three good dunks. Uh, one was like a off the bounce kind of lean in. One was off the backboard or like off the back wall kind of thing. I, I needed that double arm lift every time. And then one was like this like lean in windmill. And they were all with good timing. I think I dunked in a game like once, and it was just awful. It was just, <laughs> and I was not a game dunker. I'm not claiming I'm going on top of anybody like that. But I had really good timing, and if it was a three dunk contest, six foot white guy, I usually did pretty well. If it was four, I was out. <laughs> I was out. I'm not doing it. I, I know my limits. So yeah, I had a. Um, it, it was fun. It was fun. I was. Uh, I really enjoyed. All the aspects of that, and I miss yeah, it, but yeah, it's you, good. I mean, you've weathered the AVP through all kinds of different eras. When do you remember what year your first AVP was? I do. Well, the first ever one was '96, but I was basically '98. Okay. I started playing on from Dan Camacho, and that was the year that it had folded. And one of the reasons we ended up being able to play in them because they weren't paying for last place, and we probably really weren't good enough to really be making main draws. But people weren't traveling to them. They're like, oh, we're not paying for last place. At that time, only two teams made it from the qualifier. So I remember the first ever event I qualified for was in Cleveland, 16 teams in the qualifier, only two made it in. So we made it in, and then after one event, we had enough points to continue to keep going. So that was a year of a, a, a down year um, in terms of the ADP was switching ownership, and, and since 98, four, five different owners possibly. Um, yeah, and so it's, I've definitely seen quite a bit yeah, have you been have you ever been tempted to just like after you know the third owner or the fourth owner or the fifth owner you're just like all right I'm I'm out I'm finally out or are you just yeah no no, no no I, I just think that, that that this sport is such a 
a great fun. It's the sun. It's the you know, it's, it's the summer sun. The fun. Like I, I, people, I remember every year people are worried. Like, oh my gosh, new ownership. What's gonna happen? I'm, I just I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah. I'm like somebody will get it, right. and somebody will be able to do something with it. You know, and and that's seemingly what's happened, except maybe 2011. And you know, for me, at my rank where I am, you know, I'm a little bit different than maybe like Hyden or Phil that are, you know, trying to support a whole family. Um, at this point, I'm not. And so, for me, I just want to feel like a professional. I don't want to show up and have it be, you know, a glorified CBDA again. So if, you know, and, and you know, pretty much every single one of these owners, owners have done that, yeah. and I'm thankful for it. And this weekend, I mean, I think if there's any weekend that made you feel like a professional, this is probably close to the top of that. Yes, I, I would totally agree. I would totally agree, yeah. And, and not only the event, the way it was ran, everything about it, it was absolutely amazing, but then having the status of those players there. You know, you're walking in and out, I mean, the hotel was amazing, can't think of those guys enough for that, but just being around all that and seeing, you know, everybody around, the Brazilians, the Germans, you know, you put all that together and it, it, and it truly was an, an absolute awesome world tour event. Walking through the players' tent was kind of crazy because I recognized, I knew everyone just off of YouTube, but there's just something about like seeing, you know, Losiak and Cantor in yeah. person and it's funny because they were the exact same in person. Like, they didn't say a word. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of like eyeing their table for like 10 minutes and they, they still didn't say anything. I've still never seen them talk. Even on YouTube, like when they're playing, just no words at all. Yeah, the players seem a little bit taller than usual this weekend. I had to show my ID like four times. They're like, uh, players only. I, I'm a player, I swear. Players are like four people. Why didn't you ask that? That's funny. And so, do you do you still get like nervous for tournaments? I mean, you've played in so many now. Like, what's the the pre-tournament look like for you? Yeah, I, I would say like as far as like anxious nervousness, not as much. But 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 you know, excited, happy nervousness is still there. It's yeah. still like like a reason I play. I'm like you know fired up, and you know I want to do this for myself and my family. And you know you're out there, and you know it's it's still fun. I mean, you know, but a, but a but a good solid feeling that okay, this is it. This is what you can you know these last six months even you know, running these wind sprints. This is what it's for. And so it's not really a you know oh don't mess up kind of nervousness, but you know like this is time. This this is it. You know everybody wants to play in a big event, and um, I'm fortunate to play in pro events that really really make that shine. Yeah, pretty cool to represent the country too. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. It seems like you've been. Uh... I mean, obviously, you've developed a few players along the way, too. Is there a little added pressure there when you, you know you have a young player, like you're playing Spencer Sauter, that was, what, his third event, you said? Uh, third main draw, yeah. Third, third main draw he's yeah. ever made, and it's one of the gnarliest, probably the hardest tournament you can possibly have, because everyone in the world was there. Is that a little added pressure where you, you're like the coach and like kind of showing uh, this guy the way? You know, a lot of people have, have, have said that, and, and there's been some... You know, I played a full year with Andre Belloff, who was Russian. I played a full right. season uh, with Billy Maciel, who's Brazilian. And, you know, every now and then I'll feel like, oh, you know, here's Adam. He's the guy who will develop talent. Or this is Adam. I'll give, you know, give like an international thing or whatever. And I'm like, guys, no, 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 no. I just want to win. Right, right, right. All I care about is winning. And this is my best option for my best partner at this exact moment. And, you know, if, if I'm able to, you know, I, I do like it whenever people, when Michael Spencer is just hungry and dying to do it, and he's all about it, and um, he may just he's going to be eye for Maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 I got to grab him before the next defender ahead of me, and I know, I know the pecking order, I know, how, I know how it goes, and, you know, all these guys that I've played with have just very much enjoyed their, the beach volleyball community is such great guys, you know, I can just go down the list, Brian Cook, Brad Lawson, these are all great, great guys that are, mm -hmm. that I've loved to play with and been fortunate enough to and, you know, made some lifelong friendships along the way, so. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a great lifestyle that comes along with uh, beach volleyball and hearing all your stories, they're basically infinite, but yeah. you have a good <laughs> beach volleyball life. Yes, I do very from much. Back in the day, one of some of my favorite stories is uh, when you and Phil and Nick, we basically pulled them up to uh, Myrtle Beach and trained with them for three years. Yeah, yeah, those Not guys. Not just we, training, but living. Yeah, right? we had a great time. Yeah, they, they, we were down in Florida, and uh, Matt, Peter, and I. 
Yeah, we gotta start from the beginning of this story. Yeah. This, one, <laughs> this one's classic, and not, not many people know this about Nick and Phil. Yes, so we, Matt Heath and I were just starting to make some main draws, um, you know, qualifier main draw type stuff, and we were down in Florida, and I'm very fortunate to have this really cool beach volleyball house facility that's right on the ocean in Myrtle Beach, which is very centrally located for the East Coast. Uh, Travis from Maryland, he knows this. So, you know, within a day we could get down all the way down to South Florida. We could also get all the way up to New Jersey and hit basically every tournament on the East Coast. So we have this great, awesome potential place, and we were looking for a training team. So we get down to Florida, and I think Nick and Phil finished ninth in that tournament. They were like the 10th ranked team in Florida, but they had potential. Obviously, Phil, you guys don't remember this, but he had a full head of hair. That's <laughs> all uh, through his hair. Yeah. And so um, we said, hey, we, would you guys be interested to come up? Phil's just in the background, won't even speak. He was so like dead shy and, and, and quiet. And Nick's like, yeah, we're all about, we want to come, we want to come, we want to come. So it, it didn't really work out. And um, a lot of people know this, but, but Phil's parents, we're from Switzerland, a very, you know, nine to five, get a job, finish college, got your degree, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. So, so Phil actually, right around that same time, he took a job at a painting company, um, just doing some paperwork, right? And he's like, well, you know, I don't know, we'll see. And he, we, he didn't even really tell me this, right? And he's like, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. He's like, I'm gonna get him to come. So Nick was pushing Phil, but he's like, no, let me try this job. So Phil goes in, he sits down, and he slides his knee under, and he slams his knees into this cubicle, and he can, he's so tall, he can see like above everybody. And I get this text, and he's like, hey, can I still come up to your place and check it out? <laughs> Absolutely. So they were like, we're just going to come up for the weekend and uh, check it out, we'll play in the tournament. And uh, they came up, they brought a backpack. Um, for the weekend, they didn't leave for like two years, so uh, <laughs> we had a good time. Yeah, you, clothed, it was, uh, you clothed them? Yes, yes, yeah. We got a great spot there, and we're very lucky. And it was good because we, we would we would sit down after a tournament, we'd play them in the finals, or you know, it would be a mixture. You know, that, that week would be like, hey, what are some things we kind of need to work on as a group? And um, you know, it wasn't as intense training as once you get out in this region, but uh, for us out there, all kind of learning the game together, it, it was very fun. It was very fun. We had uh, we all say that's some of the, the best times of our lives. Yeah, I've definitely heard uh, pretty much the same same story, but coming from each guy now, and, and everyone just is like seems so grateful to have had that experience. I think everyone, I mean, they're very lucky to have that experience where you're just somehow having fun with your friends and end up playing a ton of volleyball and a ton of high level volleyball. And it, you guys didn't really even know what you were doing at that time, which was setting yourselves up to go to the West Coast and be able to compete at the highest level. And then, of course, we all know your guys' resumes from there. You played for 20 years now, and Phil and Nick's resumes are ridiculous. We don't have to go there. Yes. Yeah, we've been very proud. It's been, for us, it was really cool just to watch them. Uh, so coming up in Austin, uh, 2005, that was, their, that was their first ever win. I think they were like the 11 seeds. So, so to be there with them and have them win that was it was it was just kind of special for all of us and then you know it was fun they split up but we understood that and then just every event to just see phil like on his rise and you know super humble nothing changes about him he comes back he at the time before he was married and everything he would come back and stay with us for a few weeks every year after the season so we have a, a fun event at the end of the year and he'd come back and he's like oh, i just sleep on the floor and it's like you got the gold medal now i don't think you need to <laughs> but that's just who he is you know he, he's never changed he's never you know, his whole motto is, you know, stay so humble that that's that's just how he is. And, and it's, it's, it's been cool. It's been, it's been fun for us to, to watch that full enjoyment, full, full rise to the top of the, of, the, of the world. Now we're going to take a quick minute for a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Wilson Volleyball. Listen, the AVP plays with Wilson for a reason. The CBVA plays with Wilson for a reason. The college ranks play with Wilson for the reason. It makes the best ball in sports. All right, and now, good news. As you're getting ready for your preseason to get ready for the season, you can save on all Wilson equipment by using our discount code WILSONSAND. That'll save you 20% on all purchases at Wilson. Listen, I know that we got to play with the Mikasa for Huntington Beach. I get it. 
But soon enough, Austin will be around the corner. The rest of the AVP season is around the corner. The rest of the college season is around the corner in CBVA. So use our discount code WILSONSAND to save 20% off on all purchases. I know you need some balls for the preseason. Listen, I need them too, all right? So don't be afraid to use our discount code and play the balls at the pros play. Hi, everyone. Amanda Dowdy here. I'm a professional beach volleyball player, and I absolutely love the benefits of Firefly Recovery. I use the Firefly straps to help boost my recovery while I travel, after training or practice, and in between matches at a tournament. It is simple to use, and its small size makes makes it perfect for travel. Firefly Recovery has become a staple in my training regimen, and honestly, it should be in every athlete's gym bag. Check out Firefly Recovery for yourself and change your game. This podcast is also brought to you by VolleyballMag.com. Listen, we know that volleyball doesn't get a whole heck of a lot of coverage, all right? That's why VolleyballMag.com has you covered. It's your daily digital news source for all things volleyball. You want indoor volleyball? They got you. You want photos? Ed Chan is on the case. You want video? We're starting to add that to Sandcast. You want audio? Sandcast goes through VolleyballMag.com, and with writing... Me, Lee Feinswag, Megan Kaplan, and Ed Chan, the team at VolleyballMag.com, we got you covered. So if you're looking for volleyball news, go to VolleyballMag.com, which is the one and only media outlet that covers our sport on all fronts every single day. And, I mean, Adam, you've been around USA Volleyball for a while. You've seen it go through many different periods from when Phil and Todd won gold to, you know, the last couple years where we've, we've missed out on some medals, where do you think that, that we're at right now? Are we, are we in a good spot? Are we in an okay spot? Cause I feel like with the college system, like you said, try, I feel like our women's side is, even though we don't have like a dead ringer at number one, it's as strong as it's ever been just in terms of depth. But I feel like it's the men that we're kind of looking at, like where do we go once Phil and Nick and Hayden don't play anymore? I mean, yeah. We have April Ross, but we don't have a <laughs> ringer number one team right now. Right. Yes. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, I've talked to those guys and I think they are going to make a Tokyo push and I hope they do and I hope they play even uh, L.A. after that, but um, <laughs> they, don't, they don't want to. Uh, <laughs> Paris and then L.A. Yeah, Paris and L.A., Paris and L.A. So um, I think that the system is working and is producing talent. You know, we have the Crab Brothers and different guys that are up and coming. Um, who knows what Chase is going to do, but... People say, I, I kind of looked at it too, it was like, oh, no team uh, fifth or better in this tournament. And I thought that was kind of an anomaly. Um, I mean, if you look back just to Fort Lauderdale not too long ago, Nick and Phil dominated that event. And in theory, it was slightly stronger. Um, the Italian guys were there. And so, you know, we do have a lot of stock in, the, in those guys, but I think they can handle it. I think that it's, 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 a, it's a group, you know, along with Hyden, they were, I thought, playing amazing ball this weekend but kind of like Tri said besides Nick and Phil it's just all new teams and if you look at you know the Brazilians are basically coming off their summer so they're coming off like 14 events in a row on their Brazilian tour so they're they're all all fired all pistons firing at the same time right now and you know it was really truly our first event you know I guess some of these guys maybe played one in China one here one there so you know we weren't we're not really fully in the heart of our season in the swing. So, um, no, I, I don't think it's anything to be worried about. But I do think that the, the world tour level is it's physical and it's big. And, it, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, looking back, would this be a different game for even just Todd Rogers a few years ago? You know, you, you, know, you always think that, and then, you, you know, you look at some of the teams, Doppler Hoist, and, you know, he's a smaller defender, even though he is physical and strong. So... I think that the USA will be in heavy metal contention coming up in a couple of years. And I think as Tri was saying with this new system, um, Tyler's an amazing coach overseeing everything. I was fortunate enough to play in one of the USA elite training practices and it's good. It's very high level. It's, um, it's something that we, we can build a base on and continue on and kind of flow right into what guys are doing. Um, and hopefully some of the older guys, some of the, you know, the brains around the game, uh, John Hyden, Jake Gibb, will end up continuing to share that knowledge and continue to bring everybody up. What do you think about the, uh, I'm interested to hear from uh, kind of a veteran, like you said, the game's getting a lot bigger these days, which it obviously is. What do you think about players? Because uh, the, there's a lot of Euros where the defenders 
aren't even true defenders. It's more like blockers that turn into defenders. They're like 6'6", 6'7", defenders. What do you think about the game transitioning? Because you were talking about earlier, like, how players like Todd and then, like, how would they uh, do at this level now at this type of game? You think uh, a lot of taller players should be looking at playing defense? Um, I think it's something that anyone should take into account to really com- complete their all-around game. People are like, oh, I only put the left. Well, you know, you, may, you need to jump on the right and figure it out. Because right, right, right. at some point you're going to have to dig or transition. You're going to have to do something along those lines. So I think if, you, if you're going one level, you know, one dimension, then you're, you're, you're handicapping yourself. Um, I mean, after watching Evandro and his guy play, I mean, it seems Andre. like... Yeah, it seems like they are both blockers that mm-hmm. are just jumping back there. Totally. And... It works for them because it is such a big, powerful serve game. Yeah. So they're like, hey, we're just going to put everybody out of system and we're going to take a big area. But, you know, you look at someone like a Pedro who tried to play defense and it maybe didn't work. Um, I remember one case, being a defender myself, I kind of like to see it whenever it fails, whenever a big guy jumps back there. Right. I always <laughs> hear, oh, sure. it's easy back there. You just run around. You know, <laughs> yeah. so, oh, so easy you back there. So jump easy back much. there. Oh, I got to sprint and run to that and jump. <laughs> and I'm like, this is beach volleyball. This is what you signed up for. Okay. It's like, serve hard, run to the net, get in their face. So um, <laughs> this was, we'd have to date check it, but 12 years ago or something. And um, Matt Furbringer decided to play with Sean Scott. And it's points wise, they, they, I think they thought that the game was going to what we see now. Right. Two big, massive guys that you know, can side out every time and you know, get enough to, a block. You know, if we get it up, we're great offensively. And that team started, in, I think, in points as, as the two seed on the AVP. I think they played five events together. I think they took three thirteenths, maybe like a seventh and a ninth. Um, and so, in theory, that type of idea failed at the time. Right. Um, you know, this was quite a bit, quite, quite a while ago. I was kind of happy to see it because, you know, I don't wish mm-hmm. bad on anybody, but hey, it's a little tougher than you think back then. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, and then they basically went back to their partners, and I think that was right around when Sean Scott started playing with John Hyden, and then all of a sudden, you know, one of the top teams in the world. Right. So it really is a chemistry, ty- chemistry type thing that you, that, you know, no matter who you are, you have to have some of this defensive knowledge. Right. You know, to see Evandro back there digging balls, it's, 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 some people can make it work, but it, it is tougher. I almost, my thing is that I feel like it takes a year or two or three right. to, to become at a pro level, high level defender, um, no matter who you are. Now, now take it, take, I had heard that you, there's a chance if you come back, you might try to play some defense. <laughs> um, and you're in a slightly different position because I've heard you play libero in college. Right. And then you've also been in the beach games so much your whole life back in Hawaii. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not going to throw too many rumors out there. <laughs> yeah. But I'm yeah. always down. I'm, I'm open to it. I mean, I think I can do it. Obviously, I hear all players like you and Hayden and like all, all you blockers think you can play defense. But I do feel like, for me, I've always taken a lot of pride in my platform and defense. And then when I came out to the beach, Hayden's like, why are you going to play defense? I'm not, I'm not going to go up and block. You're blocking full time. Why are we going to practice that? So I didn't get to practice it for the last yes, four I years. Believe that. <laughs> I believe that. And, the, and another tough thing, too, is that at least, at least as far as the AVP goes, um, it's different on the world tour, but at least as far as the AVP goes, if you try that transition, then you just drop like 15, 20 spots in the ranks. <laughs> right. Because there are defenders that, oh, well, well, hey, you're not realizing you're competing against Ty Trambley and Billy Allen and John Mayer. Exactly. And are you better than any of those guys' defense? There's They're more like, good well, defenders out there yes, right there now. Is. Than and there and is it's blockers. been that way for 20 years. Right. You know, I always say that there's like 20 professional blockers and 30, 35 professional defenders. Well, so you can't teach a height. <laughs> no, you can't. No, you can't. So, yeah, but, but on the world tour, there are some teams. You know, look at that Norway team, which is one that we, we had expressed that, that was super impressive, super impressive. And those guys just hit hard and do everything very well. And that defender is how tall? The defender, I think, is six foot. No, For Norway? Six, five, six foot only? Wait, wait, wait. I'm talking about the, the young Norwegian team. 
Yeah. The really young guys? Mole yeah. and... I think they're... Yes. Sorum? They're, well, so their BVB starts when they were kids. Yeah. So they're they're, their stats now. are still listed as like six four and six foot, which yeah. is, I understand, is wildly inaccurate. Yeah. No. I, I felt like the defender they're was like 6'4". Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was a big he was Because when kid, I talked yeah. to... I, talk, I ran into Mayer yeah. after... Because the Norwegians beat uh, him and Trevor... And Correct, so I was, yeah. I was asking him about him because I don't know much about him. I haven't seen much. And he's, he compared the blocker to Phil. And then I go and look on BVB, and I was like, the kid's 6'4". Getting yeah. paired, compared to Phil. But BVB, I think, is a little bit outdated in that because they're first, they've been playing FIVB or just like sanctioned events for a while. So Correct. when they were listed on BVB, they were yeah, probably they were like you know, 14, 15 years old. So how how tall are they? Big kids. Two hundred centimeters, it says on FIVB. Quick translation, yeah. They well, they seem they seem big, and it's not not necessarily like you know a guy has to be short to be this great defender. Of course, that that is not it at all. Um, it's 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 funny because it's it's really more the touch on the ball and being able to read it, and you know, it's it's a different type setting. Yeah, and it's almost kind of like. A lot. So many people would ask me, "Oh, what do you think this player would be to be a good from good transition from basketball to volleyball?" I've been asked that a lot, and I say, "Well, first off, I think he had to shoot seventy percent from the free throw line." And the reason I say that is because with volleyball, beach volleyball, you have to have a touch on the ball. Soft hands. Exactly. So if you look at you know, there's just no way, you know, never say never that Shaq would be a good beach volleyball player. <laughs> Definitely know, not handset. He tried once, right? Yeah, he, he did that. The thing with, with Phil and Todd or whatever, but it's um, it, you, you have to have a touch on the ball. So then maybe like a defender had to have shot eighty five percent because it's you, you know just as a quick general rule because I was you know so much equivalent to basketball, and sure there are tall guys that can't do that. It's not necessarily a tall who's not tall. I mean John Hyden's six five, maybe pushing six six. He is he slunches over a little bit. So you know he's to me he's the prototypical typical world tour defender and he's obviously proven it over and over and over again he's physical he's strong and he's you know world-class defender norway's six three and six six okay okay on the fivb website okay so bvb is is a total of like eight inches outdated (laughs) just a few years ago (laughs) but you well you saw my first first foray into split blocking today yes (laughs) yes i did (laughs) went about as well as expected For the first attempt, but it was funny to see the dichotomy between the finals of Huntington and the semifinals. So in the finals, we saw, I think, sort of where the game is going. Everyone is huge, right? Brower, six foot six. Musin, six ten or six eleven. Evandro, six nine, six ten. And Andre is about six eight. And then in the semifinals, we have two split blocking teams with a max height of 6-4. I think Samoylovs is 6-4. Smedens is 6-3-6-4. Herrera and Gavira are both about 6-3-6-4. I think so, they're all a little taller than their profiles. Yes, yeah, so we'll say definitely yes. no taller than 6-5. Like, no mm-hmm. one was taller than you out there. Right. And it, I, I just thought it was funny to see the contrast in that, to see that you can have a smaller, sort of low-set, shooting, moving the ball around team in the semifinals at these events and then you have these just monsters in the finals too. Yeah, like Adam said. Well, Adam was saying that uh, players have been, or, or people have been saying that the game's going big for a long time. But look at like the the teams that are winning Olympics. It was Allison and Bruno, which is a traditional small big. Phil and Nick back in '08, and and that's all after what when people were saying that the game was going to go big, right? Correct. So it's not necessarily like the old school is, is, or the traditional small and big is going out of style. There might just be more big players out there nowadays. Yes, I believe so. I think the indoor, the way the game's changed, the way you can hint it, has just brought some of these indoor guys out there, and let's just swing as hard as we can. The Russians are, are a good example of that. I mean, I'm sure all those guys are indoor technically trained. I know most people are from the beach, but like professional for years, or they're in line for that. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at it, the Olympics, it, it was Bruno the shortest player in the Olympics? Germany uh, in 2012, too. Yeah, Bruno, yeah, Bruno was possibly. I think, I mean, I, no, I, I think Seidel from oh, Austria, for sure. 5'10". Correct. And Correct. split blocking 
at five foot ten in the Olympics. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> but even yeah. if you look at it, you know, Bruno was arguably the best player in the world for two years in a row at, at six foot. I mean, I walked past him. I feel like I was taller than him. But yes, everybody says that. Is it going bigger? Is it going? I mean, both Polish teams aren't that big. Both Latvian teams aren't that big. So you know, there's there is something to be said about having the skill and the ball control. You know, we aren't going to come out and this new Norway or some of the Brazilian teams, we're just going to rip as hard as we can. We have to have that skill along with it. And um, I think that's that's really more where the game is going. Now, the one thing that seems to be definite after being out there is that everybody is physical. They can jump high and they can hit hard. And that, I don't think, is changing too much. Even all the way down to a Bruno, even um, Alvaro, um, all the, the the Polish guys, they are bringing it. Do you think that that's why? Do you think that we've not seen the last of Adrian Carambula? But do you think that that style of game is sort of being phased out at that level? Because at some point, you know, people figured out how to pass the sky ball. You know, they've seen that for a couple of years, and he's so shooty. Do you think that like that's sustainable? That kind of game. Um, I was told by World Tour players that. When he first came on the scene, he was tough to read. And then with such now, with, with, as Tri was saying, with you know, different coaches and different scouting, that so many people were able to kind of understand his game a little bit more. Um, but then looking back, we're just, you know, how, how far out are we from, from Todd, who what, did not crush balls? And Phil wouldn't hit on yeah. two. <laughs> Which Phil still, never helped him. I'm still mad at him about that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's... So, you know, you always say that, you always think that, you know, everybody, I remember in the NBA were saying, oh, it's going big, stronger, faster, whatever, and then all of a sudden, Steve Nash won like two MVPs. Yeah. And I was like, mm. So Steph Curry. No. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, it's who's the most skilled, who's the best, who's, you know, that's, that's really what I think it comes down to. Yeah, whoever's the, the best volleyball player at the end of the day is going to be the, basically, MVP of the, the world tour or AVP. It's never going to be like that one specialized guy. The reason Phil wins all these awards is, yes, he's the most freakish athlete, but he also has that work ethic that you were talking about, Adam, and he's the most skilled. Most skilled. People talk about it. Oh, it's block or whatever. He's the best setter in the that, world. That's by far the most impressive it's, it's, it's thing unbelievable. That award that it's he's unbelievable. ever gotten. Yeah. And it's like his like setting truly awards. has been for like 14 years straight the best setter in the world. The funny thing is, is that talking about that, so he lived with me, and it was right when the rules changed, and they got a lot more lenient with that setting. And he, he I remember specifically, he went up one day, and he goes, we were playing a king of the beach, I was playing with him, he just awful bump set. And I was like, you know, you're so good at hand setting all the rules. I said, you should just grab and set it everywhere, all over the place. He's like, really? I was like, yes, just hand set everything. He's like, all right. And he did. Thanks a lot, Adam. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> He has uh, excelled in that. But exactly the same thing. It's just all of his skills. I mean, the guy hand digs everything when he pulls. He pokey digs. Yeah, he pokey it, digs like, it, but like from his, from his like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A pokey it's, dig it's, from so his So it's hip. all of his skills. You know, he, the reason is, is he is physical. He can jump. He has all those and, and one of the most skilled in the world, too. So if the Olympics were held two weeks from now, who would you have your money on? I'd be to win gold. <laughs> so I don't because at this point like if you had asked me that after Fort Lauderdale like I, I'd have poured in everything into Phil and Nick but I think you see and, and I talked to Smolavs and Smedens about this when it gets windy Phil and Nick play such a high up and down game yeah. that it blows it a lot I mean I watched one of Phil sets that started out on you know his four foot line and ended up on Smolavs's three foot line and it was it was almost like he, he set the wrong team. It wasn't Phil's fault. The wind just grabbed it, and you know they said that when it's windy, they finally have a chance to beat Phil and Nick because they were like in Fort Lauderdale it wasn't windy. We had no shot. Mm-hmm. We knew it, and everyone else apparently knew it because they won in straight sets. But when it gets a little blustery, the, it kind of opens up the field a little bit. So if you had if the Olympics were held in June and it's not windy and it's not well, let's say it's held in June in Tokyo. I don't know what the weather's like in Tokyo. Who wins it's it? It's hot in the summer. Um, I mean, of course, I'm biased. My, my money's 100% on Nick and Phil. Right. Like, no questions Can't asked. Can't bet against him. Yes, and I, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't. Plus, Bruno um, and Allison are in a 
deep funk right now. Yeah, they don't even look like they're having fun playing. But I still think that I think they would make the adjustments. I think that they would they would they would do what it takes, um, wind or no wind. Um, I think that they both uh, live for that type of setting, and of course, it's the Olympics. Everybody's game is going to rise up, but um, I think they're pretty much knowing it's their last chance, and they are absolutely going for broke. So I have them winning in this year if they were Olympics for this mm-hmm. year. I'm winning next year. And I also <laughs> am having them win in Tokyo. I love it. I plan on uh, giving them a run for their money if I can get back out there, Adam. Good luck. Money's against me, huh? <laughs> Let's go. What are my odds? I'm going to put my money down right now. 100 as he to says one. and taken, good luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I, would, I mean, in two weeks, I, would pro- I might take uh, Brower Mewson. They're hot. The way they're playing right now. It's their third win. Yeah, third win. They've already got. They've already gotten that experience of getting a medal at the Olympics. They won the world championships. They're at that point in their career where they're kind of peaking physically and in terms of experience. Maybe not peaking, but they're up there. Um, so I guess they would be my my other guess. But yeah, I mean, I I personally think Phil's been the best player in the world for ten years. It can be argued. Uh, Allison's resume is actually probably a little better. Um, over that span, but yeah, you you can't. It's it's like if they show up and play their brand of volleyball, it's over. Yes, it would be like betting against LeBron James, which, as we see in the playoffs yeah. tonight, you, you just don't do it. Yeah. Especially not when playoff time or in beach volleyball terms, Olympic time. You just can't bet against the world's best. Yeah, is that great? And now you've as a as a young beach volleyball player, I'm always so curious. I mean, you've played all over the world, and you can see tries map. Over there, he has little tacks of all the places that he's been. Now, we talked about this morning, the deepest sand, but where, like, if you had to pick a tournament to play that, you know, if you're a beach volleyball player, go play there. Where's a country or a beach that you just, you have to play? Well, domestically, I always tell people, you know, especially if you're not going into the Olympics, which is, you know, as we know, very few teams, um, I, I think for sure you have to play the Motherload in Aspen. It's an iconic tournament that's just an absolute blast. You know, 3,000 people come over. They take over the town Labor Day weekend. And you really kind of learn what beach volleyball is about in a tournament like that. And then the other one, it, domestically, which I would even now has, has, has advanced above that, is the Seaside Oregon tournament. Uh, absolutely amazing crowd. Same thing, three 4,000 people. They're throwing beer on the cans during, you know, during the finals. <laughs> they, they have this. It, it's, it's an unbelievable event. Um, of, of course, the iconic one is the Manhattan Open here in the U.S., um, but those two are something that people really have to get to, and they can play in. You know, I think that the Seaside just broke the world record with 1,200 players in it. So you know, that's, that's the biggest tournament in the United States. Um, there are definitely fun ones, other, one, other events throughout the world that, um, you know, I'm biased. Of, uh, I went back for the third time this year to Australia, New Zealand. So if you're fortunate enough to be able to go during their summer, which is our winter, um, those events are great. Um, the Brazilian tour is you know, a blast to be around down in that area. Um, but New Zealand, Australia is going to, should be high on people's list if they can get to it. And for me, I was lucky. I grew up on the East Coast, so I've done tournaments in Bahamas, Jamaica, Barbados, Dominican, Puerto Rico. So all of those islands are pretty awesome. Very, very lucky to go to those all. I was growing up in the Carolinas. And then I went to Hawaii. And <laughs> I don't really go back to those islands on the East Coast as much because... <laughs> You know, but unfortunately, there's not like a, I guess the dinosaur tournament. There's not like a really super authentic tournament that you that is you know, hey, it's every year. It's on Queen's Beach. I really wish there was. We have a something like small. That. We have the everyone kind of gets up for the Daddy Hain Foreman at Outrigger. Right. But I mean, you can fit like exactly a hundred people on yeah. those courts. Yeah. It's yeah. very exclusive. Very like you know, not promoted at all. But. That was a that was the biggest win of my career when I was a kid, and that kind of set my confidence up winning that one. But yeah, that we we should get a, a more popular event in Hawaii. I think yes. the dinosaur is kind of it right now in it terms is of definitely it. Yes, yeah, it's definitely and, it, and it. that's yeah. nothing. All that. I mean, that's just such a unique tournament where you, you have to have the combined age of eighty years old. Correct for men, seventy for women. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but there's definitely some fun ones. There's a festival in, I believe, Rimini, Italy, that rivals kind of a seaside event. Wow. And, um, you know, a thousand players or something along those lines. Um, there's some fun ones. You know, Wapaka is a blast, too. You I've know, heard of that one. And I've played in that one well. Pottstown's a fun event. You know, there, there's definitely some iconic tournaments. It's like, hey, this is why you play, you know, to go there and be a part of it. And to, and at that point, you can be any level. You know, I, I think in the double B division in Seaside, there were 182 teams last year. So, you know, people, you know, strive for these, these high goals, but you really should hit the iconic tournaments. You really should play. You know, Estero, uh, the Estero Mexico tournament isn't quite the same for what it used to be, but that used to be an absolute blast. It was pick a partner. Um, you know, the six-man event is, you know, definitely something you, you want to be around. And, you know, there's some fun stuff. And, and I remember the first time I played six-man, which was a little bit later, it was about 10 years ago, I just remember someone carrying me off and pouring beer on me <laughs> and this and that and just like having so much fun. And I remember thinking, gosh, this is the most fun I've ever had playing beach volleyball. And, and you know, if you're not doing it, if it's not fun, then, you know, why are you doing it? Yeah. You know, and so some of these other tournaments really kind of bring you back to base and like, wow, this is this is something that I can play until, you know, I'm 80, 90 years old. You know, if I want, if I stay in shape and, you know, have a blast and I'm outside in the sun. And, you know, I, I was talking to Kurt Rambis the other day, who's a family friend of ours, and he started playing beach volleyball 10 years ago. So he's 55 now. He started when he was 45. And we were, we, were, we were practicing, and the sun was setting. He's watching us hanging out. He's like, I will play this sport till the day I die. He goes, you guys have found it. And this is, you know, an NBA legend. He's not like, you know, I can't wait to go play 20, 20, basketball 24-hour fitness yeah. and stay in shape. And it really put it into perspective. It's like, you know, we can do this forever, and we're on the beach in Manhattan Beach and the sun's setting with your friends playing beach volleyball, which is how it all started for everybody. And, you know, if it ends that way, then... You rode into the sunset, I guess. Yeah. It's like the West Coast substitute for golf. Because most people around Rambus's age will start picking up golf. Right. Yeah. Out here, it's just picking up a little weekend warrior beach volleyball. Yeah. What I love about those tournaments that you mentioned, too, with I haven't played the Mother Load or Seaside yet, but I've played FUDS in Florida. I don't know if you've done that one, but mm-hmm. that's kind of another iconic one is that it's sort of, you know, the AVP, it's, it's all, it's very professional and regulated, as it should be, obviously. But what I love about those tournaments is that they're a little bit off the cuff. Yes. They're kind of wild like that, and there's no real... you know, you got beer cans being thrown on the court. Yes. And it's it's just fun. Like, the atmosphere yes. is... It's so much fun, and it's so relaxing. And anybody who's read my stuff knows that, like, I take losses in qualifiers, like, pretty hard. But then, like, you lose in a tournament like the mother load, you mope for five minutes, and then someone hands you a six-pack and is like, all right... Let's go heckle some people, and you're back on your feet, and like you, like two minutes later, you completely forgot about it. And that's what I love about tournaments like that. That's yes. something I haven't uh, haven't totally embraced in the beach volleyball world. Yeah, for you, so 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 try really kind of skipped that section. He was like, you know, CBVA double A's to boom world tour, and, and it was something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would even recommend it for him. It's something that you know, it's like you, you really should hit a couple of these iconic tournaments, and. And I got, I got two six-man titles, though. That, that's good. Two that's of, good. Y'all bitch had fun two doing that. Two of four events. Yeah, that was fun. Was Winning's fun. fun. Winning is, Winning yeah. is fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and now we've kept you here for a fairly long time here, Adam. So we appreciate you taking uh, the time not only to train with me earlier today, by the way. So we're going on like hour four together today. We are. <laughs> it's a good day. Um, so our final question for our guests is always, if you were... If a young volleyball player asks you for kind of any advice about the game or how to get better, just kind of just anything about the game in general, what would that advice be? Um, for me personally, I felt like I, I, I gained so much getting away from the, hey, our four buddies, one ball, going out, just goofing off, as opposed to actually getting down and, and just doing some drills. Um, there's a, a book out, it's called Peak. And basically what this writer does, no matter what it is, learns to play golf the first day, boom, the guy gets a professional coach, does two weeks, figures out the exact fundamentals. What is the best way to do this? 
Um, I did this with disc golf whenever Nick and Phil and I went to play for the first time. I literally bought the professional disc golf video, got a cart, did everything with it, and I'm going to figure out all the techniques. Now I have that information, and now I can go on from there. And with anything you do, why not start at the elite level, figure it all out? It's just going to make all that, the bottom line is you want to have fun. But it's fun to be good at something. You know what I mean? So whatever it is, if you're learning this basketball form, you have a perfect basketball coach that teaches you anything, why not learn at the highest level? Now you have this information. I haven't played disc golf in three years, but I know how to play like a professional disc golfer. (laughs) (laughs) And as opposed to... (laughs) Pull edit that out. Huh? Yeah. Okay. So my whole thing is why not learn at the elite level, figure out anything you need to do with this system, no matter what it may be, beach volleyball, if it's basketball, if it's whatever it is, if it's your job, if it's salesperson, why not go to the best salesperson in that company to go, hey, what have you done for the last 20 years to make you the best salesperson in that company? You know, if like Bill Kalinsky did that. He came right out to the beach and he's like, uh, excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Rogers. Um, how do I get? How do I get as, as as good as possible? Now, a lot of people don't have that, but now you know, with the McKibben videos and these different type things, whatever, if you can learn all these fundamentals, Podcast. if you're going to, if you're going to any of these sections, learn as much as you can. Figure the fundamentals out. Start with the fundamentals, and then go from there. And it will make the sport all, all that much more fun, which is what the bottom line really should be. You know, I've been coaching some different people on different levels. And you know, they're, they're, they're getting upset. I'm like, hey, 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 this should be fun. If it's not fun, why are you doing it? So that's you know, really the, the main thing that I try to give people as a takeaway. I feel like you'd be a good world tour coach because <laughs> it ain't always fun when you're traveling around the world. And uh, I think sometimes you do lose sight of that. That's something I've had to remind myself a lot. It's like I have to remind myself why I'm playing and then usually I have to take myself back to like when I did grow up playing on the baby court or at, at Outrigger Canoe Club in Hawaii I'm like all right let's let's bring that feeling back and then we know what follows after that when you're feeling good and, and playing your brand of volleyball yes I mean when it really comes down to it we are trying to keep a ball in the air yeah you know, we really <laughs> think about it I mean I get it these guys are like trying that. to put a ball into the hoop but we're just trying to keep it in the air. It's so like living the, room, uh, living room, keep the, the balloon off the floor yeah, game, right? That's it. Just a little more that's intense. It. Yep. Now, is there one like drill, like a favorite drill that you have that our listeners could kind of take away and like, I'm going to do that for an hour? Um, well, for me personally, it just, everything starts with the pass. If you can't pass, if you don't have that touch on it. And, and I think people really like to um, at, at lower levels, they 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 want to like stab at the ball, right? So uh, you know, whenever I'm teaching people at lower levels, you know, we're shuffling left, we're shuffling right. So I'm you know I'm serving them forty balls right, forty balls to the left, and I literally just have them stick and hold for like two seconds. Now the drills over, stick and hold because everybody wants to fall out of it and they wants to they want to bring out of it. And I think that's if if you know we all want to hit, throw it up there, let me bounce, which is great. It's the girls. Everybody's looking. Oh. <laughs> but if you can't pass, you can't play. You absolutely cannot play this game. Yeah. And so I think that's just that's just such a basis to start with, um, and that's kind of where you know the really starting everybody feeding into it. And it's not even just where you start. I mean, I think we've asked that question a lot on this podcast. Phil, what are you working on this offseason? Passing. You know, anybody says it, it all starts with the pass. And I was out with Billy Allen and Ryan Darty this morning, and I got out. If we were practicing at 8.30, and I got there at 8, and Ryan and Billy had apparently already been there for like 15 minutes because Ryan was just, Billy was just serving Ryan, just like 40 balls at a time, and they had a coach. They had him doing exactly what you said, just freezing the platform for like two seconds, going back and doing it again. And right. so no matter what level you are, that's, that's where it's at. That's it. Yeah, that's where it all starts. I kind of saw you stab at a couple of balls today. Too, yeah, so maybe, which is the reason why I'm the qualifier. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> Adam, you ever think about coaching? Um, I have thought about it. I have thought about it, and I've been a- approached quite a bit. At, at this point, I end up more coaching girls, um, 
and really more girlfriends. I'm talking I'm like, like world. T- <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you just know how to have fun with it. Yeah. No, no. For, for me, I've, I've tried to start to kind of coach any, any, any guys, um, but I feel like I'm resisting. I don't, I don't fully go all the way back. And um, I, I thought about it on the world tour level. You know, I, of course, I'd enjoy to, to coach Nick and Phil. Um, but at this point, I'm too deep into playing, and I don't. It's not even an option. Not enough not, time. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's. Uh, I really wouldn't. You know, I'm fully committed this way, and I really wouldn't be. It's like, oh, you know, a little pull, yeah. pull torn here and there, and you I, see that with some of the elite coaches. I think uh, Jose Loyola was on the podcast, and he's like, to coach, you got to kill the player. Yes. And you sure as hell ain't ready for that. I am not even close. Yeah, yeah. Which I think you know, someone like a Jason Lockheed, who could obviously still be competing in right. Super ultra high level is has had to do. Glad he's not out there digging me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate again you taking the time. Now, is there anything else that you want to mention? Anything that you want to talk about or wanted us to ask you that we didn't? No, I think we're all set. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was it was a good time. Absolutely. Well, Adam Roberts, thanks for having thanks for coming on and good luck in Austin. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Thanks, hey, Rob. <laughs> Hopefully I don't see you in the qualifier. Yeah. <laughs>